Welcome to Hard Sell, a podcast where my friend and I give each other the hard sell on a piece of media we like, like a book, video game, movie, or podcast musical. My name's Tim Bloom. I'm Cody Morin. And I'm Cozy Hanula. Um, Cody, I have a question for you. Um, okay. You're a, you're a big nerd who has a big nerd job doing tech stuff. Um, I do tend to do nerdy things for work and non-work. Yes, that's true. You do. Do you enjoy your job? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I also enjoy my job. I do a very different thing than you. However. Yeah, I would not like your job. No, and I definitely would not <laughs> like your job. Um, <laughs> however, I think it's fair to say that neither of us as like small children, uh, grew up dreaming of doing what we are doing. And so my question for you is if you could work any dream job and you can skip the part where you are either like struggling in the early part of the career and or skip the part where you have to do like training or extra school, what is the dream job that you would want to have? Okay, well, I'm just going to start off here with, uh, I'm going to point out, I've always been a big nerd, and so working with computers in some capacity was always what I wanted to do. Sure. Uh, I originally wanted to just make video games, and then I realized, Mm -hmm. probably around like late high school, that I really didn't want to do that, because I just (laughs) want to play games, and I didn't want to ruin games by making them. Yep. Uh, But, something that... It's one of those things where it's like I've always wanted to get really into it. And if like money didn't matter that I could just like make cool stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I would love to do like carpentry and woodworking Mm, and just like make really cool pieces. If I don't have to do the, you know, thousands of hours it takes ahead of time to like learn how to do everything super good. And I can just be making super cool stuff. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I've always thought, like, just seeing some of the work that people make of, like, crazy pieces of art with wood, or even just, like, a really nice desk of some kind that has, like, lots of cool little features built into it. Yeah. um, Has always been really intriguing. Yeah, I can see that being, like, a a, uh, enjoyable job to do on a day-to-day basis. Like, it's a very satisfying type of work. Mm -hmm. Can I say my answer for this? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I discovered that there are podcast librarians. <laughs> <laughs> and 100% I want to be a podcast librarian. And I know it's not as simple as just like listening to a lot of podcasts. And there's a lot of like, I don't know, you have to like go to school for li- to be a librarian and stuff. There's a lot like of archiving and stuff to it. But I would be a podcast librarian seems yeah. uh, like an ideal job so do you have would you have to be like our podcast librarians do they have normal library certifications and stuff and um, go to normal library school and then just like specialize in like the <laughs> sorting and categorizing and whatever of podcasts yeah it's it's similar to like yeah what you would learn for um a typical librarian for like Uh, books and stuff but like there aren't a ton of them um on account of 
it's just like not that common. I I know of like a couple that I've heard of because I have a lot. I follow a lot of podcast newsletters, and they've like there's been like articles written about like and slash podcasts on about podcast librarians. I there's like one I think who like works for like a national archive of some sort of trying to like categorize on like a national level I think and then uh, I think there might be one that like works for like some kind of university library but I know there's like a couple podcast librarians interesting that's very specific to be honest librarian is the job that like if money didn't matter uh, that I think would be very enjoyable like that's the thing that feels very satisfying I've always liked the vibe of libraries um but it I also love the s- idea of having a degree in library science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think too, like I, it's, I think it's probably harder than it seems. But I think just like being able to like be a resource for people and help them find things they're looking for, or like being yeah. able to like recommend things to people, and like the uh, again, there is a lot of complicated. Uh, there, it is very complicated how you organize the books and stuff, and I've done architecture for libraries and it's like incredibly complicated how like they categorize and like sort and like all the books and they have these like huge databases for like that they know exactly how much shelving they need and how much is clear at any given time and all these things like it's very like it's very cool and also like libraries are doing really cool things with like maker spaces and like mm. it not just lending out books but like collection collection items of like or just like stuff you might need to use occasionally but that like wi-fi hotspots that you don't necessarily need to like own but you might need access to or like a lawnmower or stuff like that like libraries lend that kind of stuff out or are starting to so there's cool stuff happening at libraries for sure yeah um i think those are both good shouts but i also don't think that either of you are thinking big or creative enough um, oh boy. my best job if i could have any job um candy funhouse is a canadian candy company like wholesale candy supplier um they recently put up a job description for a chief candy officer um okay. uh, the job pays a hundred thousand canadian dollars annually amazing um, the hiree can work full time or part time from home in either Toronto or New Jersey. Uh, one of those more interesting Oof. to me than the other, but um, one of those much more expensive than the other. I think. <laughs> I think both are very expensive, to be honest. Um, but I live in San Francisco, so it's all relative. Um, <laughs> the position's open to anyone ages five and up, and the main <laughs> responsibility is tasting candy. Um, you have to be willing to try uh, up to 130 pieces of candy per day. No. Um, the, job, the job notes that it comes with a, quote, excellent dental plan. Um, <laughs> but I saw that job posting, and I was like, if someone could would pay me roughly 78000 U.S. dollars per year uh, just to eat candy... Um, I don't know how I could turn that down. I mean, I don't think I could physically eat 136 pieces of candy a day. I think that you could get used to it. You'd have to so train. Much candy. That's what makes I- it a full time <laughs> job, right? Is the you have to work out and you have to like uh-huh. eat a lot of bread and like drink a lot of water, <laughs> things that like soak up all that sugar. Uh, it's a it's a, it becomes a lifestyle. But for 40, you know. 
What? There's no stress. What's the stress? And you're just I mean, eating like, candy all day. <laughs> it's like a very, it's just a very niche food critic, basically. I guess. Like, yeah. But I ate a small amount of candy yesterday, and my stomach felt like it was gonna die. So I just like don't physically think I could do that <laughs> anymore. Yeah, Maybe when I was like 18, I could have done that and been like thrilled about it, but. It's not technically only eating candy. You also need to approve candy for sale, make decisions about whether to award certain products with the, quote, CCO stamp of approval. <laughs> uh, you report to the company's, quote, unquote, candy intelligence agency or CIA. Um, oh <laughs> you lead the company's, quote, unquote, candy strategy and run candy board meetings. Um, but they're the- advertising it to a five-year-old could do it? Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, given his resume or her resume it's is uh, good oh, I enough. I not me. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I could beat out a five-year-old, right, in terms of uh, job resume. I mean, I don't know about in desire to eat candy. That's yeah. fair. I, I have a three-year-old whose desire to eat candy is endless. So. Well, guess what? Your three-year-old's not old enough, so I'll, I don't need to compete fair. with them. Um <laughs> But yes, no. In in reality, as much as much fun. I mean, you are correct. I could not eat a hundred pieces of candy a day <laughs> every day without uh, wanting to die and probably dying. Um, also, like not all long. of the candy is going to be good. Like we're assuming that all the candy is oh, yeah. going to be good, but there's going to be some losers in that mix. Like, yeah, I mean, you're probably you also not have to probably testing. eat black licorice, so that's kind hey, of a downside. <laughs> whoa, hey, black licorice is delicious. Okay? Black licorice is like if you rubbed regular licorice, 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 uh, licorice, licorice on like wet pavement and then ate it. It's disgusting. Sounds um, delicious. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. Well, regardless, my real answer to this question, I don't know that this is my real answer anymore, but for a time, my real answer to this question would have been stand-up comedian. Like, uh, it's a job that being a stand-up, being like a successful stand-up comedian Mm. seemed extremely fun to me. I love to travel. I love to, like, do that thing. I am very comfortable with public speaking, uh, but ultimately, like, the... It's the early part of the career part of, like, uh, having to do 20 shows a week that you get paid for, you know, $50 for one of them uh, (laughs) and bomb at half of them that, like, I was like, yeah, it's just it's just too much for me. Yeah, Uh, I can't say that would ever be on my list at all of uh, things I'd watch. I like to do. Like, things that aren't in front of a lot of people. Even if I was really good at the thing. Like, yeah. Cody will run sound for your stand-up. <laughs> sure. Sure. Sounds great. I'll I'll be the production chief for your stand-up specials. Great. great. Yeah, see, that, that'll work out. That'll work out in this alternate universe. Um, but in yeah. our current universe, I am not a stand-up comedian. Lucky for all of us, James Acaster is. And that is the uh, that is what I pitched you last week. I pitched you three different James A. Castro specials. So I will turn it over to you to let us know what you thought. Sure. Yeah. So uh, for those who didn't listen to the last episode, uh, James A. Castor is a comedian who's had a number of comedy specials over the years. Um, specifically, the ones that were pitched were he had a series of four. Uh, called Repertoire that came out as like a Netflix mini series of specials yeah. back in like 2018. 
Um, had four sections, and I was pitched Recognize, which is the first section, and Recap, which is the fourth section. <laughs> and then he had another special, which I think came out in 2020, but was recorded late December 2019. Yeah. Um, pre-pandemic, just barely, for those paying attention at home. Uh-huh. Called uh, Cold Lasagna Hate Myself 1999. <laughs> yeah. Um, which was the third and final one pitched to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so at a high level, the first two are obviously, they're much more similar to each other when compared to cold lasagna, Mm -hmm. uh, which I guess makes sense. Um, according to what I could find, like the four segments, it looks like for the series, you had, you had mentioned that they, it was all material pulled from like a series of specials over a few years. Yeah. But the actual recordings were all done over a period of, like, nine hours in one day, I think. Correct. Yep. Um, And so it makes sense that, like, the material is more similar, kind of, in tone and style, I think. Mm -hmm. Just given how they're packaged together. and, um, But they are much different in tone, I would say, compared to Cold Lasagna, for sure. Yes. Um, the general tone of the repertoire set was so much lighter, like Mm -hmm. to the point where there's a, I think there was a point very late in the first, uh, show where he, he like made some comment about like that. Some, that people like didn't realize that some of the jokes are going to be sad. Uh I don't know if it was, I think it might've been when he was talking about like relationships yeah, and he like, was talking if, about a what divorce. What if every relationship of yours is just someone realizing they don't like you as much as they hoped they would or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's, like, the general tone of that, of those series, at least the two that I watched, is overall pretty light. Mm-hmm. Um, Cold Lasagna is not as much at all. Nope. Uh, it gets a lot more aggressive. Uh, a lot more swearing, which he comments on right off the top, uh-huh. um, telling off Christians or Crizos. Crizos, oh, yeah, <laughs> old people and Crizos specifically. Yes, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, because he didn't like that. That was his audience, people who were uh, liking the nice, friendly comedians. So Correct. He had to tell them all off and say he's not actually so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just like right off the bat, very different. Um. But I I like the style of how he tells his jokes across mm-hmm. all of them. Like, there's a lot of times where, like, he'll just leave something kind of hanging and then come back to it way later. Like, mm-hmm. particularly, I think the end of every show was pretty much a callback to something that happened way earlier or, like, right at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. Which I really enjoyed, particularly with the duck bit. Yeah, the, the uh, duck recap. bit from recap mm-hmm. is excellent. That's that's yeah. why I pitched you those two. Really, is like that that callback via the duck bit, uh, <laughs> yeah. where he like calls back to the fact that basically the entire first special is like a sort of weird. Uh, one man show about him being an undercover cop and then it like comes <laughs> back around at the end uh yeah is very uh 
very weird and like very endemic of his style to do like the the sort of like callback right towards the end, especially like callback right before your closer is like bread and butter comedy special stuff. But there's like a commitment to the bit mm-hmm. uh, that is way beyond most other comedians with that kind of stuff. I think I wrote that in a note at one point. Um, it might have been when he was singing, when he was singing the Kettering Town song. <laughs> yes. Just like his <laughs> commitment to a bit is like full. Mm. He he will not stop until something is played out as much as he wants it to be played out. Yeah. Which is like the because I what was that? He was singing the song and it's like an acronym or something where he went through like every letter. Yes. Uh, it's to Kedrin FC, the football Yes, uh, the football club, club song. Yes. Is, yeah, like K-E-R-I-N-G, like Ketrin Town FC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he removes a letter each time. So it goes on <laughs> for a very long time. It's so long. Yeah, most people, you know, you would think that after about three letters, you'd like, you know, the audience gets the point. Let's yep. move on to something else. But no, it's just let's go through the entire thing and he does it while he picks a specific audience member to stare at the whole time (laughs) uh so he very intensely stares at one audience member while like stomping his foot on the ground to the beat and doing the song for like five straight minutes it's great yeah it's a lot (laughs) and it's that's the kind of thing that like um i think is i think is hilarious in the special but like You know that that didn't work every night. Like, comedians bomb. The best comedians bomb. And so, like, um, I can't even imagine what the vibe would be trying to watch James Acaster when he's bombing. Like, uh, and actually, there's I have some thoughts about that. Because I think there's there's a difference between watching him when he's bombing, when he's, like, uh, pretending to play a pre-recorded message from a duck for... 10 minutes versus when he's like talking about suicidal ideation. Uh, And I think his reaction to bombing on those, both of those different things, like color the tone of these different specials too. Yeah. I mean, I think he talks about in the cold lasagna one, uh, like how poorly received some of his jokes were in different regions, like particularly about like Brexit stuff. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine, like, there are some jokes that just, like, you know in certain parts of, like, the U.S. that, like, would not go over nearly as well as some other areas and stuff like that. That mm-hmm. Yeah, that I, I could I, see him, like, it doesn't matter where he is, he's gonna fully commit to whatever it was, no matter what, so... Yeah, it's a lot. And I think, um, I you know, I don't know how, how you want to, like, take the conversation, but I think his... Uh, a lot of the tone, and I think even some of the jokes and stuff like that from In Cold Lasagna Hate Myself come from being heckled while talking about his mental health, especially in, like, conservative parts of the UK. Um, yeah. That, like, color that special in a, an interesting way. And color his his future comedy. Uh, he His next tour is a show called Heckler's Welcome, um, <laughs> which I suspect is tongue-in-cheek, but ooh, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't do a ton of research into, like, his background or anything, so I'm sure you have a lot more on that than I would Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, how he's dealt with hecklers and stuff like that, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think the thing with James Acaster is like he's a he's a very well liked comedian. Like it's yeah. not that he hasn't had to struggle, but like uh, he started his career. He started in like an experimental jazz fusion band that fell apart, um, and he just sort of fell into stand up comedy and was successful very quickly, and like is yeah. successful in a lot of the like British panel shows that we have talked about. Mm-hmm. And like repertoire, uh his initial material is pretty inoffensive. It's pretty yes. like you could not like it. Or like again, it has a very like specific surreal vibe. It's definitely not for everyone. Um but like there's not a lot to, it, there's not a lot of he takes a lot of creative risk and not a lot of, like, risk with the material itself. It takes a lot of, like, risk with the form versus risk with what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, and he's not totally just telling uh, Christians to stop <laughs> listening to him. No. Straight up right off the top. No. Well, to be fair, I do think that's a bit. But, yes. Oh, yeah. It is, no, um, 100%. It is. But... It is uh, <laughs> yeah. He. That show is him. I think that is the truth. That is what he's saying. Like Chris O's and Olds, stop <laughs> listening to me. Is more like uh, stop listening to me if you think I'm gonna give you what you want versus like what I want to say. And yeah, I think that's uh, it's similar to like a lot of what Bo Burnham has said, who's another comedian that I enjoy, and like that is a that shift is so different. Like you don't see that relationship between like performer and audience at all in the first four specials. No. Yeah, there's not a lot of that at all, which I think um I think is probably partially what made Cold Lasagna it was a lot more memorable for me when yeah. comparing the two. Um and that's not to say anything like wrong with the repertoire sets. Um but like, you know, I watched these now uh, we had a little break between our last episode and this one. So mm-hmm. to jump out of the podcast a little bit, I watched these like over two weeks ago now. Yeah. Um, and I was going through my notes earlier and I was reading through some of the notes from recognize and recap. And there's a number of them where I made notes on jokes and I'm like, I don't remember what this joke was <laughs> that I made this note about. Like, yeah. Uh, whereas, like, I didn't really have that at all for cold lasagna. I like going through the notes. I like remember each bit by bit, which mm-hmm. probably because a lot of the bits in general were a lot longer mm-hmm. than because they just had so much more room for them. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's one when I pitched this to you, I pitched you two of the four specials that are all like interconnected, but like. Yeah. And there are some bits that I remember. There's the the bit where he's playing his podcast from the first one. Um, yep. There's there's bit there's the duck bit from recap. But like, I don't remember. They they all blend together. I mean, they were all recorded in the same day. He's wearing a like what he's wearing and the background of the shows bleed into each other, which mm-hmm. uh, you probably are not fully aware of. You haven't seen all four, but like they clearly there's like a progression. They all are kind of the same and the, again the tone is very much the same um and the thing he's doing there are like bits that thread through mm-hmm. but like there's a newer sort of 
kind of a stand-up comedy that has become more popular, which is more like where a comedian is like telling one long story through the full special and then like diverting into bits, but it's like one big story. Mm-hmm. And that is very much the style that he is has like adopted that he is this is not come up with this, but this is the style that he sort of adopted for Cold Lasagna Hate Myself. Yep. And I think it helps make the show feel more I think it does make it more memorable and it makes it feel more cohesive as like a thing versus like yeah. a collection of bits. Yeah, like the you know, I I recently took a trip trip to New York and we went to the comedy cellar and saw some really good stand up there. Um, yeah. But like in general that felt much more like his first two sets. Like that like what you would kind of picture as a more typical stand up set, I would think, anyway, from my perspective of someone yeah. who hasn't seen a ton of stand up of like um that it isn't like one big long story told over like that in that style. It's just like a you know, they hit like a few different talking points, make some jokes about them, continue on from there. Um, make some callbacks, uh, like fairly, fairly standard. And like you said, kind of inoffensive standup set. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, that, uh, the cold lasagna set, you know, he's telling stories about like the different times he's been dumped and like more specifically, like with the Mr. Bean stuff, um, <laughs> um that's like all kinds of kind of plays off of earlier things he's talked about. And yeah, um, but yeah, so I think all of that worked together to make Cold Lasagna a lot more memorable in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I was trying to think of bits that I particularly liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, man, some of his stories in Cold Lasagna, I like... Uh, his time on Bake Off sounds uh, pretty awful. Yeah, because there's that <laughs> meme that everyone's seen yes. that he references on the show of him saying, uh, uh, started baking it, had a breakdown, bon appetit, yeah. and telling, like, the dark background story that, uh-huh. that like, was him literally dialing the suicide hotline in the UK, like, after the first night of shooting, ahead of that second night of shooting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> adds, uh, like, that bit's very funny, but it is, like, uh, yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you know, I had mentioned that, like, in the first set, he, like, had, he made a comment at the end that, like, some of the jokes are gonna be sad. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's a lot of that in Cold Lasagna that, like, is just straight up like it is just darker in terms of like how deep he gets into like things that have happened in his life. I mean, yeah. and he comments on that too. Like um, when he talks about the Mr. Bean thing that like <laughs> I've written four shows about being an undercover cop and my real life is this. Right. My like, <laughs> real life is my long-term partner left me for Mr. Bean. And like, yeah. <laughs> and, but that is the thing, right? Is like that's happening during the cop shows. And, like, yeah. there are parts of the those shows where he alludes to, like, he's going through a divorce as the cop. And is, like, he's, like, playing this character whose relationship is breaking down. And, like, the, imp- the joke there is that some of this is real. Like, yeah. part of what is funny there is you're, like, I think so- this is getting, like, real enough that he- there's something <laughs> being drawn from 
that is not totally a bit, but he's he's I think it's not unfair to say he's kind of hiding behind this like fake cop character uh when he's saying this and there's no hiding in no. cold lasagna. He's like he he is he is playing a character. He's wearing like an absolutely absurd '80s <laughs> jacket and like aviators for much yeah. of the show, which is very not his style. But like, he is—he's uh, telling like true stories about things that did actually happen to him, uh, and were like reported on at the time as happening to him, so you know what they are true. Yeah, as himself, and it there's like a vulnerability to that show. I actually think he is clever in how vulnerable he is and isn't with different things, uh, but it's definitely a lot more blunt and vulnerable than the repertoire shows. Yeah, and yeah, he's. I know he makes a point at um, at one point, like people being worried about him. Yeah, um, and basically just straight up being like. No, guys, you. I would not come to the audience first with my problems. Like, yeah. I have worked all this out, and now I've written it up, and I've put it into my stand-up special because I am, like, better with it now. Yeah, and he's talked about that, too, of, like, of, uh, you know, again, he, he, we've talked about it a little bit, but he references, like, dialing the suicide hotline. Yeah. And, like, a very dark moments... Um, and he's talked about, like, he feels that it's important for, uh, it's become kind of in vogue for people and comedians included to kind of, like, I don't know, not glamorize depression, but sort of, like, uh, it was important, he has talked about feeling like it was important to talk about mental health bluntly without feeling like he was wallowing in it, and without yeah. being like, I, this has been a struggle that I've had and I've, like, worked through it, um, However, part of the context of him being like, don't worry about me, is during the tour of this show, there were a number of, like, uh, I brought up hecklers, because there were times where he would get, like, heckled on stage with this mental health stuff, and I don't know the details, because they're not recordings of these shows, yeah. but, like, there are times where, during shows, a bunch of people would, like, tweet at his friends, or, like, people doing... Uh, who he has podcasts with and things like that, being like, hey, you should check on James because he just had a meltdown at, like, this show at blah, blah, blah. Boy. Like, I think, like, this tour and this show took a lot out of him. And I, so I do, like, I believe him when he says, like, I'm not, I wouldn't be talking about this if I wasn't over it. But I yeah. also think, like, it's so much more vulnerable than anything else he has talked about that I think like doing taking that step and then getting heckled uh some comedians can deal with it and I think uh it was a, a challenge for him yeah well and I think I feel like that happened has happened I now I didn't watch Bo Burnham's recent special but I feel like there was similar commentary around his mental health when that came out yeah like, there were definitely people, people worried being like, about him and stuff yeah, inside. I will pitch you inside at some point, unless you, if you want to just watch it, go feel free. But I, <laughs> you're gonna get pitched at some point, and it's um, it's dark. It gets it gets intense, and it's not as it's more theatrical, and it's not quite him staring. Um, yeah, there are times where he stares in the camera and is like, "I would love <laughs> to kill myself." Um, so yeah, it's 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 similar. It gets dark and intense. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was uh, it was just really interesting to see how he could take things like that, like the Bake Off, or um, you know, like the time in his life that would be really hard when someone is like breaking up with you um, and like still turn it into something like as entertaining as he makes it mm-hmm. like, um, you know, it's like, it's hard cause you're laughing at jokes that someone is making about the time they like had to call the suicide hotline. And it just is like a, it's a like almost kind of a weird feeling. Yeah. But um, I think he does a very good job at like packaging it all together for the show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he uh, he he's definitely much more aggressive with different callouts. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of when I think early in the show he makes a reference to like other comedians. Yep. Um, who like attack different communities that it's the job of stand up to attack I don't know like the trans community. Yep. Cuz it's supposed to be challenging. Uh-huh. Uh Yeah, I uh I think I disagree with a lot of comedians on that take, but Yeah. Um he has um that is another one that I think uh that bit went viral where he's like that uh it the whole bit is him being like uh, you know, the, the comedians come out for you a bit. Right. Comedians come out, you know, just slag off transgender people for 10 minutes at the start of their special and be like, I'm being challenging. It's like, you know, who needs challenging the trans community? Right. Um, <laughs> and him really coming after Ricky Gervais, who's like the comedian he names, who is, mm-hmm. I think, American audience is probably more familiar with Dave Chappelle. Um, yes. Doing very much the same bits as Ricky Gervais. But, um, yeah, it is, uh, the, like, skewering of that is, um, clever. And it, the, I think the thing I like, because he gets more, like, politicky uh, in this show, mm-hmm. and there are very, like, political comedians, and he's mentioned politics in past specials also, and mentioned, like, things like it. Uh, he has, he has got, yeah, he's he has some good political bits in the last specials, too, but he's much more blunt and straightforward. But I think he does a good job, um hitting that stuff without being preachy and without being not funny. Like there's a, yeah, there's another comedian. I really like named Jim Jeffries who is very, very political also, but I think his stuff can get a little preachy or a little like, uh, I don't know, like a little bit self congratulatory. Um, and I don't think he ever like veers into, into those places. Yeah. But yeah, like, even I feel like even if there is stuff that you disagree with his takes on, because, um, yeah, he talks about like Brexit. He talks about like Boris Johnson a d- couple different times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I like his takes because I think they're good and funny. But like the I feel like he doesn't go so far in one direction that most people, even if they like disagreed, would like take offense a ton probably i'm sure to some extent especially with some of it but yeah um yeah i think he i think he handles it pretty well a lot better than some 
comedians do that I've seen before. And I think part of part of it is the tone, right? Like he comes out with this very fuck you tone immediately. Yeah. Um and it helps contextualize the bits later a little bit of like when he is coming off saying like, you know, Boris Johnson is like an awful person for mm-hmm. saying some truly awful shit in yeah. the the Guardian. Um he you know, it feels in line with the tone whereas like if that stuff came up in his other specials, it's not that it would be wrong or inappropriate, but it would feel like incongruent with who he was trying to be or like the character he was playing in those yeah. specials. Like no comedian is honest there's no such thing as a comedian who stands up on stage and like is actually meaningfully vulnerable um but like the degree to which he's playing a character he's playing like the character of james a caster makes that stuff not come off weird in a way that it would in repertoire yeah like the like the feeling of the repertoire set is very consistent within that set. And the feeling of this is very consistent within the cold lasagna special. But yeah, if you like mixed them together, they would, it would feel weird. Yeah. But yeah, it, uh, I really enjoyed the whole, um, (laughs) viewing of the, uh, of his agent. Yeah. Or his agent, from his agent's perspective when his agent <laughs> dropped him. Yeah. Um, just the, basically that James was pulling a prank on him the whole time with breaking, having a breakdown and suicidal thoughts and things. Cause you know, all of that was necessary to slam through a prank on his agent. Apparently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's another, like that, that reminded me of repertoire, like that bit, the like commitment to that bit for yes. 25 straight minutes <laughs> Yeah, uh, of like, I'm playing, <laughs> this is me from my agent's perspective of I'm faking a breakdown as a prank. Um, was that's the thing that in the special that reminded me most of the rep well one of the things in the special that reminded me most of the repertoire pieces yeah yeah and then just like the cut from there to like his therapist Uh um and the different texts he got from the therapist that are just pretty rough i loved uh when he sent his last text and he made the comment that like he sent a text so good that he's not even mad. He's just excited for the response. Yeah, I've done that. It feels so good to send an, an email when you're mad or something. Yes. And you are no longer mad. Yeah, you're just happy. I, I very much related to that. Yeah, there's definitely been a couple emails I've sent at work where like someone had something completely wrong and tagged a bunch of people on it. And I like got to send an email back correcting everything and just like waiting for them or someone else to like ping me on the side and be like oh hey sorry <laughs> uh, uh yes it's a good a classic it. as per my last email email uh-huh. yeah <laughs> yes yeah those texts also are like the wildest shit like the fact that your agent the fact that you could go through a bad breakup is not crazy uh yes. somehow the fact that great british bake-off filming would be an awful nightmare is not surprising to me 
Uh, the fact that your therapist would try to, like, manipulate and guilt you into, like, taking their kids out for ice cream. By is... telling you that ruthlessness comes at a guilt price? <laughs> yes, the quote, ruthlessness <laughs> comes at a guilt price is the, like, wildest shit I've... Like, you couldn't make it up. Like, it's too it's too specific and weird that, like, yeah. I have to believe it's true. Uh, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just so crazy. Yeah, everything else he's been talking about, like like you said, is reported on, like demonstrably true. That mm. I I can't imagine this not being true. Yeah, like it would it would be weird if it wasn't, mm-hmm. which is just weird that it is true. <laughs> uh, what a nightmare! I mean, he yeah. he. So one of the things that I find really interesting, and I mentioned like no comedians ever actually vulnerable. Um, he frames the special around like 2018 being the worst year of his life because his girlfriend broke up with him his agent dropped him and he had to dump his therapist yeah um uh did you notice he never actually talks about that girlfriend breaking up with him i did he like he keeps making callbacks to it saying that he's gonna talk about it but then just talks about other stuff like mostly focusing on the 2013 girlfriend who left him for Mr. Bean. Right. And then he also talks about a different girlfriend who broke <laughs> up with him in 2018 being like, yeah, I did. I'm such a winner. I had two different long-term relationships end in the same year. Um, <laughs> but the actual other one uh, who is with a comedian whose name I can't remember, uh, who in her own right is a great stand-up, and he has like appeared on things with sense. Um, he never actually talks about it. He alludes to like, have you ever had a breakup? Where people say, like, oh, you dodged a bullet, but have you ever been the bullet or felt like you were the bullet? Um, And so, like, that's the thing. It's clear that there's some, like, unresolved, you know, when he says, like, I wouldn't talk about something up here if I hadn't processed it. And it's like, you openly uh, don't talk about something. It leaves, like, an implication that uh, that is interesting and, like, is vulnerable in a way, but also is, like one of these things hurt the worst and it's not, it's going to be the thing you didn't actually wind up talking about in the special. Right. Was this, was this one Rose Matafeo? Is that yes. the one that yeah. he, okay. Um, I, I reckon, I know I had looked it up at one point. Um, cause, and her name was familiar. Cause I think she was on, um, she was on a series of Taskmaster. Yeah, I'm sure. She's been on a lot of, like, panel stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like, I saw that name and I was like, oh, wait, I know her. Mm-hmm. And I didn't recall him ever saying her name or, like, anything that would have led me to believe it was her, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, he ends that special too with a call back to um, when he was talking about the Brexit stuff with mm-hmm. a menu at a restaurant being written by people not associated with the kitchen. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't have a ton more like specific notes on anything here. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to talk about, about his specials. No, I think we hit on the, the big stuff. I mean, they're comedy specials, right? So like the, the, 
they're best viewed versus like analyzed. I think we've hit yes. on the big stuff again. His his style of like this like weird surreal long sort of like I'm ninety percent sure this is a joke, um, but I'm not sure. Did remind me? Did one of the ones I pitch you end with him playing Old Lang Syne for like fifteen minutes on a little recorder thing? Uh, not that I recall. <laughs> okay, you I think would remember. Recall. He he. <laughs> the The first one ended. He was talking about um, like the pictures you put your head in. Sure. Yep. Uh. And like went from there into like overanalyzing relationships, that whole thing, and then the other one was the duck bit. Sure, um, yeah. So you can look forward to that if you decide to watch <laughs> any more. But like, there's, there's, he does some interesting stuff with comedy, but I think it's, it is the like storytelling stuff that is more mm-hmm. my speed, um, and I think is like more interesting to me, and like makes me more interested in what he's going to do. Next, I was talking to Cozy about this after I pitched it, and I was like, I'm curious what this next tour is going to look like, because I think yeah. there's a world where, like, um, you know, after that year of, like, 2018, where he needed to, like, get this shit off his chest, but again, like, the tour, I think, took a lot out of him, um, and so I think there's a world where, like, this new tour is a lot more similar to the repertoire stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this was like a one time thing, but he also named it Heckler's Welcome after <laughs> heckling and like the challenge of of saying things like I had to call the suicide hotline and people saying like screaming you're a baby at him yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I don't really know where he's going to where he's going. Um and so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where he goes. The only other thing I wanted to mention is something I fully didn't know when I pitched this to you, but is very funny to me. Um, so you, we talked about digital detoxing uh, yeah. a few a few episodes ago. James Acaster just published a satirical self-help book called James Acaster's Guide to Quitting Social Media, Being the Best <laughs> You Can Be and Saving Yourself from Loneliness, Volume 1, uh, which is a parody of self-help books, which imply that if you are on your phone less, you'll be happy. Um, and that's very funny to me, because <laughs> he he both doesn't have a social media presence, at least not really like a public one, Um, but also he is like given interviews being like, yeah, I think all these people saying like, if you're not on Facebook and Twitter, you'll be happy or totally full of shit. So he wrote a, uh, 250 page mock book about people who (laughs) do that. Um, I may have to look this book up. So it's very, uh, I've not read it yet, but it is, um, it, it's uh, sort of interesting. It does sound pretty good. Uh, but cool. I think that is the big stuff. So if you had to give James A. Caster specials a yaw or a nah, what would you give them? Um, I think it would definitely be a yaw. Um, you know, I had talked about the first couple specials not being, like, as memorable, but that doesn't mean that they were, like, bad in any way. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'm interested to go back and watch the other two um, mm-hmm. to kind of, like, complete the series. Um because, you know, even if I don't remember everything he talked about and every joke he made, mm-hmm. um, which I wouldn't expect to because my memory is not usually the best anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. I know, like, 
I enjoyed them in the moment, and there's a lot of, like, good bits that I can recall from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the cold lasagna special, I think I enjoyed more. Okay. Um, overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think... Um, I think all of them as a whole are good, and I'm interested to see the next one also. Um, mm-hmm. Which you're going to in person, I think? Yeah, yeah, we have tickets to when it's in San Francisco, so Cozy and I can report back after we uh, after we <laughs> check it out. But nice. I I had a very similar I had a very similar reaction to the specials. Where like I think I laughed more pound for pound in the repertoire specials, like there were more chuckles per minute, uh, CPM, yeah. <laughs> CPM in marketing <laughs> terms. Yeah, um, uh, but I think cold lasagna hate myself was a better show. Like I, I think it was better, like well crafted and a, uh, a better viewing experience than yes. the other ones. Um, so Yeah. I'm I'm glad you like them. Yeah, thanks for pitching them. All right, now for our middle segment, cozy. What do you got? Thank you. Uh, I have a segment I'm calling Reality Simulated. So interesting. Uh, okay. This is this is not going to be game. some shitty like metaverse plug, is it? No, because I am not into it. <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, so you, I think, are both aware that I've gotten really into a game called Power Wash Simulator. Oh, God. <laughs> um, okay. And Power Wash Simulator is a game where, as you can probably imagine, you power wash stuff. That's the whole game. That's mm-hmm. it. Uh, and But the thing I've discovered is that Power Wash Simulator is part of a genre of simulation games that is virtually endless the amount of things that have been simulated into like a video game um there's like goat simulator which again probably shouldn't exist but does that's like the original one that was like that came out like i don't know 15 years ago and uh (laughs) didn't really make sense at the time uh there's i recently got an ad on the some like the Epic Store or something for a winemaking simulator. And I was just like, what don't, what isn't there a simulator for? Because it feels yeah, like I mean, almost anything that you could like possibly make a simulator for or not has a simulator. So I have sort of a quandary for you guys to see if you can um, come up with something that should be a simulation game. Like that's like, I think the best the best of the simulation games, why do I love Power Wash Simulator, is <laughs> something that's, like, oddly satisfying, but, like, you don't actually want to do in real life. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, power washing an entire fire truck. Do I want to do that in real life? No. Is it oddly satisfying to do it in a video game? Yes. Um, so, trying to find a... Simu- come up with a simulation, a thing in real life that should be simulated, but isn't actually a simulation game, and um, we'll Google to find out if you're right. And you're oh, probably no. wrong, because almost everything is a simulation game at this point. Um, yeah, because I think, I think there's, a, there's a similar vein simulator that I'm familiar with, which is Lawn Mowing Simulator, where it's like, yeah. you know, it's satisfying to get all the, like, nice lines in the lawn, but, like... 
you don't want to actually go out and mow a bunch of lawns. I barely want to mow my own lawn. Right. Yeah. Um, or like I have a, I have a cousin who, as far as I know, is like pretty big in the modding scene of I think Farming Simulator, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those simulator games where he like makes mods of like different tractors and stuff for the games and is like well known in that community. Uh, I think the only simulator game that I have played that was like a straight up a simulator game was uh, from a while ago, one of the Euro truck simulator games. Yeah. um, Which is like actually driving a truck cross country for a long time. Like long haul trucker. Yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah, Like you take a job to like deliver, you know, fruit to like a grocery (laughs) store like two hours away and you just drive your truck across the country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like a whole genre of like mm-hmm. a long haul trucker simulator games. And it's like, I just get this job. Like, well, just do this then. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. But there, again, there is like something about these games where like the ability to like dip in and out of it for like an hour is like kind of a different thing to experience than actually doing it in real life. For your right. job. I guess. Um, I just Googled. There is no just yard work simulator, but there is a whole Simpsons bit about a fake video game called Yard Work <laughs> Simulator. Amazing. Um, okay. Uh, so that is that is a real thing. I Googled. We were talking about libraries. I Googled library simulator uh-huh. um, or librarian simulator. There is an app. It looks like. But it only has four total reviews on the Apple App Store. So it's half a video game. It's a video game that no one's played. Um, <laughs> so that I guess that sort of counts. I really have no desire to play any of these games. Like, I understand the idea of, like, meditative... I mean, I guess I play Football Manager. That's your simulator. Yeah, that's the simulator a football, of a right? type. I guess that kind of counts, but that feels slightly more notable than Power Wash Simulating. I'm 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 playing out a, a slightly more unachievable fantasy than driving a car from place to place. Um, the first thing I thought of that would be like a um something that probably would exist but feels like something that could be interesting in a game and wouldn't at all be interesting in real life is like, at least for me is like a handyman simulator where like, you know, as opposed to just doing power washing, like you go to a house and there's like a series of jobs that are all Mm -hmm. different, like plumbing and electrical work and stuff like that. Uh, Uh, Cody, I have great news for you. Uh, handyman simulator is a game on steam. (laughs) Yeah. I just looked at it. It it says it's not, released yet unless there's another one i'm not looking there's also at. one called house flipper which looks slightly mm. similar if you just like do household tasks to renovate homes and then that's it yeah now that you mention that i think i've actually watched a stream of someone playing oh uh, house flipper. Lord, i can't imagine <laughs> wanting to do that well i was also thinking about like like what are other things that like because again power wash simulator it's like oddly satisfying of like Maybe, like, organizing stuff. Like, do I want to organize my own stuff in my own house? No, it seems like a lot of work. No, but like, of course not. There are video games where, like, you just sort of, like, arrange stuff. There's one that, like, got kind of big. It was uh, Unpacking, I think it's called. Yeah. That I looked at getting. It looks really beautiful. Like, the art's really nice. And, like, 
part of the whole thing is that you're unpacking and just like putting things nicely in places <laughs> and it's like this is dumb but i kind of want to play it so <laughs> um there is a game uh on steam called rock simulator where you are a rock <laughs> and you watch time pass as a rock Amazing. and that's the what the game is I changed my mind from the first part about like what I want my dream job to be if I could do anything. <laughs> I think it's be a rock, yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah, all makes right. sense. Yeah, I don't know. These games don't really appear. I have too much of like a people know this. I have like a 50 item daily to-do list that I work down constantly. So like the idea of relaxing by doing a task is not how my brain works like <laughs> i can't, i can't relax yeah. so like i don't uh i simulator games don't have a lot of appeal to me unless again it's like a very specific like football manager style game okay well, that's like with the the stream i was talking about it's like it's someone who i watch streams of anyway he streams so rarely that like I'll usually toss it on when he puts one up, whatever he's playing. Usually it's like a Nancy Drew game or something. Sure. Uh, but like, I'll usually just like have it on in the background. But yeah, it's not it's not the sort of game that like I want to sit and power wash something for like four hours in a game. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do also understand the appeal because I have power washed like my patio before <laughs> and it is extremely satisfying when like the nasty green weather beaten patio is suddenly looks like nice white concrete again yeah <laughs> uh, like it's a great feeling uh-huh uh -huh. um, i just don't typically want to like that's not what i want my game to be <laughs> mm -hmm. sure i will say so we did um we are all from minnesota and I have often thought that while it would be horrific to work as a snowplow driver mm. and have to, like, regularly wake up at 3 a.m. to, like, plow roads, um, doing it once or doing it just sort of, like, when I wanted for extra cash, um, there would be something sort of meditative about just, like, driving by yourself on these roads where you know literally no one else is driving because it's yeah. unsafe for everyone but you. <laughs> um, there is a snowplow game coming out, supposedly, but it has no release date and no other information available. Nice. Interesting. Yeah, so that I technically that counts. There's no current interesting game. Too. But, yeah, I feel like in the end it would just... it it is like a basically like the lawn mowing simulator but i guess yep. slightly different if you're on like the open road as opposed to like a shoveling simulator i wonder if there's a shoveling simulator that's no, something i have like... no interest in simulating <laughs> that sounds horrible simulation yeah. or otherwise <laughs> i mean it's probably similar to like a power wash simulator where like again you're getting satisfaction about like the clearing of the snow from like yeah. one side to the other like i could see that being a game some people are into uh, there it depends is a though snow... is it like endless driveways or do you get to like snow plow or snow shovel very like increasingly interesting driveways well neither because it's not a real game 
Um, okay. <laughs> but I do. There's we a snow one, shoveling. There's a snow shoveling game in Roblox, but it's it looks sort of you like fight evil monsters and ah. it's not actually. It's not called quite a Snow simulator. Shoveling Simulator, but it's uh, I I don't know that it's simulating shoveling snow in uh, the the reality we all live in. <laughs> Similar to uh, how Goat Simulator doesn't exactly simulate what it means to be a goat. Correct. I guess Untitled Goose Game counts. If we're counting Goat Simulator as a simulator, <laughs> I think Untitled Goose Game is also a goose simulator. I well, think they're I think similar. I don't know. It's not called like Yeah, it doesn't have simulator, simulator in the name, but goat simulator also you can have like rockets and like shoot on top of, you know, you're not just like a goat who is just like vibing. You're like driving cars <laughs> and like surfing and Yeah. I guess. Uh I I feel like something about having simulator in the in the title like makes these games different cuz like Untitled Goose Game. Again, there's like a puzzle aspect to that game. I know these all sort of have some kind of mechanic to them, but like, it's like, there's one step different of like the intent is to be a simulator for a goat versus it being like just a puzzle game that happens to be goat themed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like it steps too far into the game territory and not not enough in the this could be real life territory. Yeah, yeah, it's right. just a little bit too fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think, too, because Untitled, most of these games aren't, like, um, are more, like, realistic, like, graphics. They're not, like, a cartoon, like, Untitled Goose game. I feel like that makes a difference, too. Sure. Anyway, no, I, I was... Think, oh. What's the, what's the really expensive train one? Is it just train oh, simulator? Yeah, I think so. Are you on a train or are you driving a train? I think you you drive drive. a train, um, but there's like a zillion different trains that you can buy DLC of that I feel like all the DLC, if you bought it all, is like over $1,000. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's similar to like Flight Simulator, just even more boring. Uh, Flight Simulator is something that like my, the, the platonic ideal of myself could get into Flight Simulator. Like... Um, it seems like it would be fun, and I've, like, downloaded it. It's on Game Pass, but it's so complicated uh, mm-hmm. because you're flying a plane. Like, people actually use Flight Simulator to, like, to, learn, like, learn how to fly yeah. planes. Mm-hmm. And, like, that, yeah, I, I don't know, it's just so far. This is the problem with these sim games, is, like, fundamentally, they almost always are, like, either too complicated or too simple, like, too yep. complicated to feel obtrusive or, like, way too simple to hold my attention beyond like 15 minutes yeah, yeah. the other ones i could think of that could be fun were, would be like mission control simulator like you get to be mission control for like a what? rocket launch oh sure okay or interesting like, like or in the like, control room yeah or like astronaut simulator or something where you yeah. can like be in space and do like space stuff uh i think that could be because again it's like a thing i'm never going to really experience but it it's kind of it's like interesting i'd be curious like that's a See game what, like exists. a simulator. Of course it is. <laughs> Astronaut simulator. Yeah. Astronaut simulator. What about mission control? I guess I didn't see a specific mission control simulator. 
Um, um, while you look that up, I did want to point out, I looked up uh, to verify what I had talked about with Train Simulator. I was off by a factor of 10. Well, <laughs> All the DLC, if you bought in Train Simulator 2020, would cost over $10,000. Oh, my God. I thought Lord. you were off by a factor of 10 the other direction. <laughs> you were going <laughs> to nope. say it was like $100. Oh, no, my God. I think, uh, there are 680 DLC entries on Steam, and most of them are like $25 or $20. And Some you of get them are like $40. Different wow. train to be inside of while you're simulating like driving through the countryside? Some of them are like different trains. Some of them, some of the $40 ones will add like a new route. Sure, uh, that makes more sense to me, yeah. Yeah, the, some of them add like, I think, different scenery. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's something. Wow. All right, well, thank you both for venturing with me into the wild world of simulated reality games. Uh, I was just astonished at the number of these that existed, and I wanted you guys to um, experience that as well. Nice. Yes, if That's that handyman well. simulator game comes out someday, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll play it and Great. report back. Awesome. Great. Please don't pitch it to me. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> TBD. <laughs> All right, for our final segment, I will turn it over to Cody for this week's uh, hard sell. Sure. Uh, Tim, uh, I feel like given discussions recently outside of the podcast, you had to have some inkling that this was coming. Um, I'm afraid. Yeah, you should be. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Tim, uh, I'll just be straight up. I'm pitching you Celeste this week. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Now... I Cody, know. I have to live with him. <laughs> you can't do this to me. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Um, now, I know that we've I've pitched you on Shovel Knight in the past. You did. Uh, if we're talking about other like 2D pixelated platformers, correct? Um, Celeste is a very different game. Sure. Um, it looks identical. Just so <laughs> I'll I'll go I'll try to go in mind open, but hey, I yeah, don't you believe know. you. <laughs> so, if we're talking from like a gameplay perspective, mm-hmm. um a lot of the levels in Shovel Knight between like a checkpoint would be very long. Yeah. Um and for the most part that is not the case with Celeste. Like mm-hmm. there are um, most of the rooms can be completed like once you f- kind of figure out how to do it in like five, ten seconds. And mm. if you die, you just start that room over again. Um, so like you're not falling off of a, a platform because of an enemy that you didn't know was going to pop up when you jumped like in Shovel Knight and then have to run through another like two minutes of difficult platforming to get back to that point. Mm-hmm. Um in the, like, base game of Celeste that I'm pitching you, like, that does not happen. Mm. Um, There are definitely difficult portions of levels where you will die a lot before you, like, complete that portion, but it's... It is... At least for sure in the base portions of the game, it is much more forgiving. Mm. Um, Which, like, I found myself, when I had replayed Shovel Knight and pitched it to you, I was getting frustrated at a couple Mm -hmm. different points. That did not really happen for me in Celeste um, in, like, the early portions of the game. But Mm -hmm. um, 
Celeste also has a lot of assist mode stuff. Sure. Um, that I will encourage you to use <laughs> if you start to feel frustrated. Because sure. there are, like, even in the base game, like, there is some stuff later in the game that can get pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, that, like, I'm not interested in you beating your head against a wall doing something you're not enjoying. <laughs> yeah, um, me neither. Which is, like, so there is an assist mode that we've talked about in the past. I don't remember what game it was that had an assist mode that you used that you thought felt condescending. I think cozy. Um, thought oh, that was me with control control. Yes. And it's control. again, right. the actual mechanics of the assist mode were genuinely good and like, let me control how much I wanted it. But like to help me or not, it was just the way it like scolded me for using it was rude. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think this game handles that a lot better. Um, but the, so the, the kind of the whole mechanic of the game is that you can jump, um, and then you can dash in like different, you can dash in like any of the eight kind of like cardinal directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, I think the different assist mode features are one makes it so that instead of just getting one dash in the air, you can have like infinite dashes to yeah. just like negate some of the more difficult platforming. There's one that you can turn on. That's just invincibility. So mm. like spikes on the ground or on walls don't hurt you anymore. Um, mm. Cause the kind of the whole thing that you don't have health, like you did in shovel Knight. Like if you touch something or you fall off a cliff, like you die and that's it. Yeah. Um, you don't like you have one health essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, um, you know, my my thinking would be like try each level because each each level has like a new mechanic it introduces. Mm-hmm. Um, like try each level, get as far as you can before you like start getting really frustrated, mm-hmm. and then like turn on the assist mode stuff so that you can like get through it, see the interesting mechanics. And then see the story. Yeah. Um, the as far as what I want you to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so Celeste has eight levels and then an extra ninth DLC level. Sure. Um, the ninth level is extremely difficult. Don't even bother. <laughs> um, like, ser- I still haven't beaten it. Uh, sure. And I love this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the and it, it's also extremely long. Um, for that level. Like, I think I'll have spent more time beating the ninth level once. Actually, I know I will have spent more time beating the ninth level once than I will have beating the entire first seven levels and finding all of the, like, hidden secrets in all of them. Absolutely wild. Um, so don't bother with that one. Uh, the eighth level is called the core. It doesn't add a ton to, like, the story. Um... And also requires you to have done some of the secret hidden stuff in the first seven levels before you can even go to it. Mm. So don't, I wouldn't bother with that one either. What I want you to play through is the first seven levels, um, specifically the A side of them, which is just the base game playthrough. Okay. Um, because that's like the bulk of the story. Sure. Um, the eighth level adds a little bit. The ninth level adds like quite a bit, but is not. Worth sounds like more like an expansion to than yes it is like they basically said like 
they could have charged for it with how much work went into it as like paid DLC. But because of how difficult it was, Mm. they would feel bad having people that paid for it and then not able to beat it because it's so hard. Yeah. Interesting. Um, But so like there are hidden uh, like they look like mixtapes that you can find hidden within levels that will unlock like the more difficult B side. If you find one of those, feel free to hop in and just like try it a couple times to see sure. like what kind of the more difficult parts of the game look like. Um, but I'm not expecting you to like beat any of those. Um, the other thing I'll note is now I, in this sort of game, I love hunting for like the collectibles. Yeah. And so in the first seven levels, there are 170 strawberries oh, that are like hidden God. throughout the levels. That is so many. Um, some of them are not hidden at all. They're just like, yeah, they just are in a slightly more difficult place to reach. Mm-hmm. But like, unless one seems really like appealing, like I wouldn't necessarily bother with them because some of them are also very difficult. But um, yeah. One of the things that I like about the first seven levels, especially when you compare them to, like, some of the more difficult, like, seasides and stuff, Mm -hmm. um, is that the, um, they are, they're, it's almost more, like, puzzly. Um, like, just trying to figure out how you're supposed to do a room and then doing it, um, as opposed to figuring out how to do a room and then beating your head against the wall for an hour trying to do it. Yeah. Um, like, I never found any of the rooms, like, that difficult in the early stuff. So I'm interested. Yeah. I know you don't love platformers, so I'm interested to see how that goes for you. Yeah, this is one, again, I'm uh, I'm uh, afraid, and um, but is one that I've wanted to sort of revisit, because I tried to play Celeste at one point, mm-hmm. and, like, died three times. It was just like, oh, yeah, I hate <laughs> platformers. Yeah. So I'm down to try this again, and I think the... Uh, because I've heard just such good things about it. Um, it's also interesting. I was looking up the assist stuff when you were talking about it. Um, do you know they changed the verbiage that they tell you when you try to switch the assist mode on? I didn't. Did it used to be more like condescending? So I don't think it was ever condescending. But the old message was assist mode allows you to modify the game's rules to reduce its difficulty. This includes options such as blah, 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 blah. Celeste was designed to be a challenging but accessible game. We believe that its difficulty is essential to the experience. We recommend playing without assist mode for the Mm. first time. However, we understand that every player is different. If Celeste is inaccessible to you due to its difficulty, we hope that assist mode will still allow you to enjoy it. So that's the old message. Now, when you try to turn assist mode on, the the message it says just says... Assist mode allows you to modify the game's rules to fit your specific needs. It, this includes blah, 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 uh, blah, blah, blah. Celeste is intended to be a challenging and rewarding experience. If the default game proves inaccessible to you, we hope that you can still find that experience with assist mode. So it, it takes out all of the you should do this and just yes. says, like, uh, this is what. Like it's supposed to be challenging. It 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 still it still gives a disclaimer. Like there's not no thing, um, yeah. but it takes out all of the person. To be honest, I think both messages are pretty 
reasonable. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting. I'm sure they got comments from people being like, don't, I'm looking at the assist mode because I already tried. Like most, yeah. 99% of players are not buying this game and then turning on assist mode before you try the thing as yeah. is. Oh, for that sure. That was the, the thing that when with control that bothered me was like if i'm going into the menu looking for an assist mode like Mm -hmm. just trust me that i need it and don't (laughs) tell me to go like make sure i play the game before i try or like turn assist mode on like i know how many times i can tolerate dying before i need assist mode thank you (laughs) but i also will say the so the thing i chafe against most is the thing that you described with shovel knight where i need to like repeat content i've already beat Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the reason I still haven't made it through like a Souls-like game, because I I don't mind having to fight the same boss over and over again. The thing I hate is running back to the boss. Is the yeah. like, I mean, I don't like it, but like I don't like dying to the same boss over and over again. Uh, but the thing that kills me, the thing that like, uh, you know, I'm only willing to like run back to the same place like two or three times before I start to be like I'm basically over this um and so the fact that it it is more like saving it sounds like more or less at each new like screen of the side scroller Mm -hmm. or like pretty close to that versus like each individual level um or each like you know two or three checkpoints or whatever it is within the level um that also sounds more my speed like assist mode or not um Yeah, it'd be like in Shovel Knight, like, if instead of having three checkpoints at a level, you had, like, 20 checkpoints, one for each screen. Because, yeah, it's every screen transition, you have a new checkpoint for that screen, basically. Yeah, I very much like that. So I I suspect, because, yeah, what it is then, functionally, is it breaks every level down into, like, a bunch of individual puzzles instead of, like, having to execute across a full... um, like a full level it makes it it sounds like it makes it more about figuring the puzzle out than it makes it about execution necessarily if you are doing that piece of it and that's the kind of thing that uh i think is easier to not be frustrated for it's easier for me to not get frustrated like long term on yeah i'm also curious about the story because i know i've heard good things about the story i don't know that much i know there's like mental health things but like I don't know details, and I'm curious. I mean, this game came out in what 2018. Uh, yeah, I think 18, 17, yeah. 18. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious. You know, so it's not an old game, but I think like the way that we tell stories about these topics, especially uh in video games i mean overall but especially in video games has changed a lot in four Mm -hmm. years um has changed a lot in two years let alone four um and so i'm curious about what my thoughts will be there um because yeah it, it seems interesting yeah i'm uh i'm excited to hear your thoughts and I'm hoping that you enjoy playing this one <laughs> a, a little bit more than Shovel Knight. Uh, I I think it's more enjoyable, like, from the, like, perspective of not getting as frustrated sure. while playing it. But it is also, like, in my top three probably favorite games of all time, so I'm slightly biased. Sure. Do you have a recommended uh, platform that I should try to play this on? Um... 
something where you have i mean i prefer like a d-pad for Mm -hmm. platformers but like i know people play this with a keyboard uh i know people play this with a joystick which i just do not understand wow that uh, like a full like flight sim joystick no or like like f- like, okay. got it. <laughs> like on a like on an xbox controller, got it got it got it okay. like choosing to use the joystick on a controller instead of the d-pad okay i was gonna say because uh, those joysticks <laughs> are uh bare to try to control um but i think i would say play it just because of one mechanic Play it on something where you have a controller that has both a D-pad and a joystick. And I think that is the best way to do it. Because there is one mechanic that we'll get to, I'm sure, when we talk about this next episode. Yeah. That I, that is the one thing I do not like about this game. <laughs> I think basically necessitates the joystick on the controller. Got it. Uh, but we can uh, we can talk about that when we get to it. Cool. Okay. I'll, I'll play it on the Switch. We're doing some travel in the next couple of sure. weeks anyway, so this will be a good uh, airplane game. Nothing yep. like making my blood pressure rise on, on an airplane uh, to really just <laughs> give me going. Oh, I'll be, I'll, I'm on a flight tomorrow, and I will be playing this on uh, the Steam Deck, and I will be trying go. to beat that last level, and so I'm sure I will be uh, getting frustrated. But <laughs> that's... Uh, that's more on that Shovel Knight length level where uh, the final yeah. level that I'm on is like over two minutes long of platforming. Yeah. And if you die, you start over. And that, uh, yeah, it's yeah, getting to that frustrating point. <laughs> yep, I believe it. Well, looking forward to uh, to experiencing Celeste over the next couple weeks. Cool. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hard Sell. As a reminder, uh, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. You can follow us on Twitter at Hard Sell Show. Uh, send us an email at hardsellshow at gmail.com or follow us on Twitch. Kyle and I just did a uh, stream of Fortnite uh, dropping in to Tomato Town. That's a place, I think, uh, for the first time. Uh, it was interesting. It was fun. Uh, so check it out at twitch.tv slash show. Um, We'll be back two weeks from today with my review of Celeste. And until then, we will catch you on the flippity flop. Catch you on the floopity flop.